0: Welcome, Knife Journal podcast listeners. My name is James Noka. I'm here with Kyle Versteg, my trusted compadre, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 51.
1: Knives are our obsession, <laughs> and things. All related to the outdoors and monkey business and all these and, sorts of other things. And
0: politics and all that other good stuff. Well,
1: we try to keep the politics to a minimum because we get in trouble, but uh, yeah. cause there are certain things you're just not allowed to say because it's evil. Yep. So today I'm going to talk <laughs> in my NPR voice to show everyone that I care so much.
0: So your your kinder and gentler voice? Yes, my NPR voice. That's funny. Get out of here. That's funny. That is funny. Okay, so um, busy week in in uh, in uh, the world of knives this week. Okay. Lots of stuff going on. Um, you're making knives like crazy, I see. Yeah. Yep. After
1: we finish our short podcast today, I'm going to go out in the shop and make three more. That's my goal for today. Yeah? Yep. W- what are you making? I uh, have one parang, uh, all the forging done, so I need to do the grinding on it. And I'm going to do the complete forging of another parang and complete grinding. And I need to do a uh, uh, one of my tapered tang uh, woods knives. So uh, that'll be three to finish up today.
0: Oh, well, that's awesome. Yep. Lots of fun. That is awesome. I got a... Uh, um... I'm going to print this letter off so I can read it a little better while I'm while we're talking.
1: Yeah, hopefully um, uh hopefully I'll I'll be done with uh this current run and hopefully uh TM Hunt will agree to take them in for heat treat cuz they're all uh O1 tool steel and he does a great job of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the heat treat there. Otherwise, I I guess I can probably pay uh what's the name of the place Peters to do it. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah. Is that who
0: is that who did them in the past?
1: No. Um actually TM Hunt has done all my O1 tool steel stuff and Randy Buckmaster has done all the 52100 stuff.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: So, um but uh, most most people who don't have access to those types of resources send their stuff to Peters. Mhm. Which um I don't know if I can't talk some people into taking in my heat treat work, I'll be sending it there. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. One of these times, I'm gonna buy an actual heat treating furnace, but uh, I'm a ways can't you, off from that. Can't
0: you just use your forge?
1: Yeah, it's not precise enough. Okay. Um, I I believe in um, precisely control. If I if you're gonna sell something and charge top dollar for it, um, you know, I believe in controlling that heat treat and doing it as scientifically as possible. Um, the stuff that I'm just going to use myself, I just do it in my own little <clears throat> furnace. Um, for O1 tool steel, I just heat it up to non-magnetic. Um, actually, even anymore, I don't even need to check with a magnet. I just know because it reaches mm-hmm. a certain color. And mm-hmm. I hold it there for 10 minutes. The trick is you don't want to get it too hot because it starts to b- burn it. Um, but I hold it there for 10 minutes and then I quench it in oil and so far like that's been like an awesome heat treat and um but you know i want it to be as precise as possible so that i can say that i did my due diligence in uh you know getting the heat treat right before i try to sell it to somebody so yeah, my own stuff I, I do in there other people's stuff i i don't i don't want to go there
0: yeah um i'm going to go grab this Letter out of the out of the printer. Hang on. Okay, be right back. Yep, yep. Fresh off the press. Okay. <clears throat> this is from. Uh, I'm gonna hold his name. Um. Jim and Kyle, congratulations on making the milestone fiftieth podcast. It appears to have been made without any celebration, but I think it's an accomplishment that you should be proud of. I have listened to every podcast and I've enjoyed them all, and I continue to look forward to the next one. The topics that you cover are interesting to me and often inspire me to research or practice new subjects and skills. I was <clears throat> initially surprised to hear so much political discussion in a podcast about knives, but I have come to expect and appreciate the variety of topics and, discuss, and discussions. Despite the fact that you remain focused on knives and outdoor recreational activities, I believe our political views are aligned almost perfectly, so I find your opinions easy to listen to, and often find myself discussing those opinions after the podcast with friends and family. The only topic that we seem to disagree on is global climate change. You appear to be confident that <coughs> I have a hard time even saying this part um, You appear to be confident of what We hear, but I think that the scientific evidence is overwhelming. I think that you may be cowards and remain in denial because the problem is so large that our only solution is to involve government to impose policies and restrictions to force us to act collectively to make sacrifices and change behaviors to protect our planet. Thanks for all you do and keep up the good work ss well thanks for uh
1: listening and commenting and uh i i really don't have anything to say <laughs> it's yeah. it's freaking eight in the morning on a sunday and i've already been called a coward for something um i make it I, I a don't habit think, you know what of and, not and i read this <laughs> arguing read this a- religion with people <laughs> that's their religion th- re- listen yeah you know
0: i know i, I read this a couple with times your
1: own religion I read this a couple I'm, times. I'm just going to leave it at that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I read I read this a couple of times, and um, I don't, you know, I don't disagree that our climate is changing. I, I don't. I I think it changes. I think it's the the way it is. I don't think it's anything that we're doing. I just think that it's the way it is. And I guess if if these people are running around with their hair on fire and trying to to make this a social issue. That we need the government to control our lives over this, then I, I have to I have to respectfully disagree with this guy, with this fella. Even though I, I mean I appreciate him listening and stuff, and and uh, um, I, I just don't I just don't see how um, disregarding the, th- the 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 thirty five the forty year cycles is is any kind of scientific fact. Um, I mean, and they throw that around like it's. Like there's evidence of this stuff, you know, and <clears throat> there really isn't. I mean, there. there you ha- there's, listen. What what the,
1: you have to what, have faith, Jim.
0: Oh, I know. I know. And I, I just am not. I, I guess I'm just not willing to uh, to give up my carbon footprint so Al Gore can make a ton of money. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to have to pay for carbon credits to Al Gore. I think that's ridiculous. I think it's the most ridiculous thing in my that I've. Ever heard of? Because I know damn well that India and China are not changing their carbon footprint. Well, you know, I think the, the whole the whole deal is to be honest about it is not about climate change because because it was global warming in the seventies. It was global cooling. Now it's now it's uh, climate change.
1: I just Cause, cause, I just hate to get into this discussion because for them it's a religion and if we argue against it it'd be like if we were arguing against catholic beliefs it's like bigotry <laughs> and, yeah. and and i just don't want to get into the thing where i have to argue against someone's religion cuz honestly i just don't care
0: enough <laughs> yeah well and it, it is but it, you know the pro- the problem <laughs> is is that this uh, this affects us yeah this kind of stuff affects us because these people are trying are convincing our young people that driving a Prius is really important. these people are uh, i mean God, I remember when when they changed the aerosol uh, uh, propellant because of this shit because it was because our planet was cooling off, whatever happened to ozone holes
1: that 's <laughs> that was, like, the thing in the 90s was, like, there's a hole in the ozone layer. <laughs> <laughs> there's a ton of, there's a ton of holes in the ozone. What happened to all that? Yeah, I know, but, like, why aren't they talking about that anymore? Because that was That's, the big thing back when I was in college was that, you know, we were evil because there's a hole in the ozone layer. Yeah. Like, let's talk about that again.
0: Yeah. Like, what happened to that? Well, like I said, we, we were talking about, um, I, remember, I remember it plain as day that we were heading into an ice age. Yeah. I graduated from high school in 1977 and they literally were preaching the same people that are preaching today that we were heading into an ice age and we needed to change our habits. Yeah. Okay. I so, remember too um,
1: because I was I was in uh kindergarten in about 1978, 1979. Yeah. and they they were telling us that it was going to be an ice age.
0: Yeah, you know, and 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 I guess the if you look if you follow the dollars, and that's what you have to always do. You follow the dollars, and in, in the scientific community, you fo- the only way that these people get funded is through government grants, and and the only way that they're getting money is if they, um, if they toe the line. And if the government wants to control the population a certain way then they need scientific facts and guess who the, guess who's paying for them you and I.
1: Yeah.
0: <clears throat> so anyway, well but so so
1: here's here's a little perspective. Um I when I was in uh, undergrad my I had a major in biochemistry and a minor in chemistry and I almost got a minor in Latin. Um, I was one credit hour shy, but I just ran out of patience. And uh, I was sick of taking, like, 18 credit hour semesters and just working my butt off, and I wanted to have a nice semester. So I only took 17, and I didn't get the Latin and minor, or minor in Latin. And so I was pretty burnt out at the end. Um, I'd been working in the biochemistry labs for a couple years, doing research, doing, you know, my projects were all about protein folding and things like it, boring crap. So I decided to take a year off between um college and medical school, and the only way why the only way that I could support myself well with my particular degree was to go work in a science lab. So I switched fields and worked in microbiology for a year and I got some publications. Um and did oh. some stuff like that and uh so I have a, a pretty strong science background through undergrad and then when I was in, uh, in uh, medical school I switched fields again and switched over to transplant surgery and got some publications that way. So I'm pretty familiar with how grant writing and science works and the scientific method and things like that. Probably more familiar than a lot of people are. Um, and the way science works is you develop a hypothesis. Um, you say, well, I think that the lipo oligosaccharide gene on um, the surface, that, and I know about this because I did this, on the surface of haemophilus influenza is controlled by the phosphoglucomutase gene. You say, that's my hypothesis. And I think that if you truncate that, if you get rid of phosphoglucomutase or develop a drug that will block that, you won't have... Um, this molecule on the surface of Haemophilus that allows it to be extra infectious to people. So that's your hypothesis. What you do is then you go and I made a virus and I put a, a gene in it to block the phosphoglucomucose gene. Phosphoglucomutase. That's a lot to say at 8 in the morning. Anyway, yes, so is. I took this virus. I made a virus and I infected um, Haemophilus influenza with the virus. And then a bunch of other tests, and I was able to prove that that's the gene. Okay, so that's that's science. You have a hypothesis, you design an experiment with controls, and you test it, and you see if you're right or wrong. Um, if you can't develop a a, uh, and there are different types of projects that are not not the same level of evidence and not the same level of uh, of science that where you can't design an an easy experiment like that. You have to develop a model. to um, And you you try to develop a predictive model um, based on your hypothesis, and you see if the predictive model holds out over time. Well, we now have um, lots and lots and lots and lots of different computer models that have been um, proposed as predictive models um, of what the climate would do. And every single motherfucking one of them was wrong. So, you know, instead of adjusting the hypothesis and saying the hypothesis is wrong, um, they say, well, all of us agree that it's right. So they say, well, you know, the sky is blue, but fucking all of us say it's green. How do you like them apples? We're right. You're a bunch of fucking
0: idiots. Okay. Yep. You don't know the difference between right. green and, and so, red. And <laughs> so this is why I
1: say that it's more of a religion, because when you... When you take some witch doctor... And believe me, there are still people alive today that believe in Jim Jones's bullshit. There yep. are still people alive today that believe in the Hill-bop, uh You remember those people that wore like Adidas sneakers or something and all offed themselves in an apartment? At the, yeah, at the same time. Yeah, there are still people that believe in that stuff. The Hillbop Comet Cult people. Yep. Um, and, and the reason they still believe is they get under the spell of these uh, witch doctors. And the witch doctor says, well... You guys need to do X, 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 and X, or on this date, something is going to happen. God's going to bring down his wrath. Or they try to make a prediction like, on this date, um, uh, you know, George Bush is going to come and speak at, at such and such university, and uh, and somebody's going to kill him. You know, so they make some outrageous prediction. When it doesn't happen, they don't abandon the belief. They say, well, you know, um, uh, the the Lord works in mysterious ways, and obviously he had a different plan, you know. Uh, and then, you know, you get these these uh, people that are involved in that and the big spokesmen and the big witch doctors that become discredited, um, but somehow they always bounce back, like Jimmy Swaggart, um, like right. all, all these people in the 80s that were these big witch doctor type people. And this is the way histor- history has always worked. You know, that's why we developed astronomy, it was so that the witch doctors could make predictions and actually have them come true occasionally. And so, um, because of all of this, that's why I think that this resembles more of a religion than actual science. And that's why I'm not going to argue with. If you want to believe that, that's fine. Um, I'm not going to call you names. I'm not going to call you a coward. I'm not going to call you an idiot. Um, you know, believe what you want. I I just <coughs> um, but I'm not going to share your religion right i'm just not um right. and that's all that's all i have to say about it. it
0: and and i and the problem is is that this religion is trying to screw with our social life by making it by ban, by outlawing expeditions and uh um when I say expedition, uh, I mean the Ford, the Ford Expedition,
1: <laughs> right? The one that's sitting, I, I can see from my little uh, yeah. office yep. here.
0: Yep. Well, and, and, and then and getting and you know vehicles that are you know everybody wants us to drive smart cars.
1: And, and then notice that um, every time there's a religious cult, uh, the leader is not subject to the rules of the follower. So like with right. Jim Jones, he was so important and he was such a great person that he was allowed to have sex with men, women, boys, whatever, as many as he wanted. Same thing with the the jerk-off at Waco, whatever his name was. They all have this Messiah thing where the guy is so important that he doesn't follow the same rules. Has anybody ever looked at Al Gore's footprint? Has anybody ever looked at at the fact that in the county where his house is, that's the largest building of any kind, including factories, whatever, that's the largest building of any kind? In the county where, at least it was when he built it. It, Now, that fact may have changed, and I'm sure people are going to be like, Oh,
0: see, oh, it's not the biggest. There's a coke plant there that's bigger.
1: Uh, Okay, well, still, it's a private citizen who is supposed to be like this priest of your religion um, that doesn't have to follow the same rules because he's so important. That's why it's a religious cult, okay? And I'm not going to, listen, you can have it. It's fine. I'm not going to call you names. I'm not going to argue with you because that would be like me calling a Lutheran a name or like me yeah. calling a Muslim a name or me calling a Jew a name because they believe a certain way. Like, I I believe in tolerating people's religion and that's your religion. That's fine. I, I'm moving on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I tell you, I mean, it's, it's it's a big deal. It is a big deal. I mean, when you start considering you know they're changing they're changing the social policies of our of our nation because of it well religions tend to do that <clears throat>
1: yeah throughout history they do you know and i I'm, I'm just not going to be a believer
0: i'm just not sorry so if now, you're if you're a global warming politician i'm not voting for you
1: no well, speaking of global warming, our our uh, discussion of Jeeps last week has led to quite a lot of uh, um, discussion. Yeah. Uh, Corey Murphy, you know, he's got a, a Rubicon. Um, I think he has some special one with a special engine in it, like a 4-liter or something, that was apparently the last one of those made. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sent me a big, huge article through email on... Uh, on the Rubicon and why it's better, and he says to definitely get a Rubicon. Yeah. And then a um, couple of the groups that I follow on Facebook are like Bushcraft Geeks and uh, Slipjoint Addicts, and and uh, Dan Mefile, let Dan and one of those was posting that he's going to sell a bunch of knives and get a Jeep. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I tell you, it's a, it's a, um, that's
1: a whole religion too. Oh, I know. And I, I eventually I'm gonna get one. Um, yeah, but I, I there's actually a, there's
0: actually one for sale up here, a two door, uh, two door hardtop.
1: Yeah, one of these days I'll get one. I just can't get it right black. now. It's black. Yeah.
0: It shows every bit of dirt on it. That's why it's so cool. What, uh, what did you carry for knives this week? <sighs> well, I carried, well, what I usually carry. I mean, it's nothing. I did run across this. Oh, you got an elephant toe. Is that for Canal Street or Case Brown? No, oh, no. This is Case a this is an El or... Cheapo. Oh wow! This is a um, Rough Rider. Rough Riders it,
1: making those?
0: Yeah, yeah, dude. And you know what's what's interesting about it? It's got it's um, smooth bone. Yeah, so it's actually a very. I mean, I hate to say this. This is a very well made knife <coughs> for the budget minded. That don't give a shit about American workers is a great knife hmm. um, because it's like 15 bucks. They're beautiful
1: and it's an elephant tote and if Case yep. would get off their ass and bring the other one out of the vault, then we wouldn't have to buy the Rough Rider <laughs> version or the Canal Street version
0: or the Case Brothers yeah. well, version. Well, the Can- Canal Street version is nice. Yeah, I, mean, I have that. That's a whole different animal. Yeah. That's a, that's a, uh, a very well-made piece. Yep. Um, I mean, this is not. This is definitely not a uh, a showpiece by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but for fifteen bucks, you could carry this and lose it. Yeah, and beat it up, up and, and it. not
1: care. See, that's the yep. problem. Is the elephant toes are so damn rare that I don't carry them. Right. You know, except for rarely, like if I'm going to some special thing, which well, I carried an
0: elephant toe uh, this last week. Um, but, I'll send uh, I'll send this to you if you want to if you want to carry this. No, I, I, I don't carry mind it. Him. It's not my style. You don't like the elephant toe? Yeah, it's too big for my pocket. The, you know these are sailors' knives. Really? Explain. That's it. that's how they that's how they started out. Um, as a, these were a sailors' knife because they're made to they were made to pound through rope. Okay. Also, um, and they were you know I, I don't know why they why they chose this pattern but this was like the original sailors' knife. That and the uh, sheep's foot, mhm, well, this was even before that, oh was it? this was this this was like ancient times, mm. it's like the first elephant toenails were 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 sailors knives, but they were they called them rope knives, okay, I think that's what they were more more tended to be called rope uh, the knives.
1: other name for that pattern is I think sunfish or something yep. like that,
0: yep. yeah, yeah, and, and you know I suppose they'd be good for i suppose they'd be good for um um filleting sunfish. Mm-hmm. So then I got this guy out. I dug this out of the out of the safe. And I and I've always liked this knife. This is a this was a knife that um that Lone Wolf's knives did back in the uh, I think in the um early mid 2000 maybe. <clears throat> and it's a Bob Loveless.
1: Mm. drop point hunter god that's gorgeous
0: that's a folding knife wow and and it's it's only kiss of death was it was made in italy and it's probably expensive the fit yes the fit and finish of it is phenomenal god this is gorgeous a, this is a phenomenal piece and um it's made out of 154 cm <clears throat> but it's made in italy and for some reason at that point in time we were just not ready for an italian knife even though the italians make very good knives yeah lion um, steel for christ's sakes yep yep and this is so this is a traditional drop point folder now i don't believe that bob lovelace ever made this knife i thought he, he i thought he did make that as a folder <clears throat> at one point i don't think did so uh uh-uh. uh I don't mm. I don't think he did. I he made a city knife folder, but I don't think he ever made a, a drop point hunter. But he did hack off on this. He didn't he, like he it. He did No, 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 he liked it. He oh. liked it. He signed off on it. It's got his uh okay. it's got his logo on it. That's nice. That is a neat knife. You know, and it and it this is one that I've carried uh, you know on a on a fair number of occasions. It's got a nice it's a great handle, it's a great design. Mm-hmm. Um I will uh I will take some pictures of that guy. You put gotta put that me. up on
1: uh, Slip Joint Attic.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a lock. It's a lock blade.
1: Well, they they like the traditional style knives. It doesn't matter if it's a lock blade. I think they,
0: I think they'd appreciate that as being a unique piece. It is. It is a great. It is a great knife. I mean, it's one of those knives that, that, um, uh, you know, when you when you take it out and use it, you you feel good about it. Hmm. You know, that's it's that it's that kind of knife yeah. that you you take it out and you use it, and it's like, oh, that really feels nice in my hand. Kniveshipfree is the best place to buy knives. Period.
1: Here are a couple reasons: we have the best brands, we have the most popular knives, and they're all in stock. If you send us an email, we'll answer it. If you call us on the phone, we answer the phone. If you order it we ship it. Kniveshipfree.com, the best place to buy knives. Now you know why.
0: So this week was my dive training. So I had um, I used a emission uh, um, titanium um, MP, MPK, I think is the is the model that I used. Okay. <clears throat> Let me look that up for sure. And um, a Spyderco uh, rescue. <laughs> cool. Yes, that was my two uh, the two dive knives that I used.
1: Nice. You don't use the H1 or anything, salty. Or I don't whatever? use the what H1. What salty? No. This uh-huh. knife. Um, you know, I have that that little uh, Necker that I brought up to Michigan, and then here's um, the big brother of it. So I I carry like the Dragonfly three with the yellow handle um, in yep. H1. Yep. Yep. And then yep. this is the full size version. I really love the um uh, what do you call this shape? It's just a really strong recurve. It's, it's a um hawkbill. Hawkbill, but then I mean it's um I I really really for everyday well, you know, pain, the, I, think I, enjoy like the, that I think that's like
0: the I think that's like the like the um that blade shape is like the original Harpy. Yeah, um, Spidercore Harpy. Okay, mm-hmm. so so I back up. It was not an MPK, it was an MPT. Okay. Um,
1: yeah, that so. I, that I used. So, the knife I'm holding up to show to Jim is called the um, Tasman Salt. Um, it's got a yellow handle, uh, Spider Co. in H- H1 steel. I like this knife. Um, I haven't carried this particular one yet, though. Um, it's still kind of in box and in package. But that's one of my. I like that knife. Um, I like a, a recurve like that. Uh, you'd be surprised at how how nice it is to know where that point is you know like if you're going to open a box you know exactly where the point is you know
0: yeah see this the, the spider coil that i carry diving doesn't have a point on it it's a it's a rescue knife so it's oh. um uh the it's like for um it's it's actually called the assist
1: okay
0: <coughs> which would be um C seventy nine BBK. Okay. And it's got a it's it's mostly serrated. It's got a window buster on it so you can break glass.
1: Yeah, like if it's, they're underwater to try to get out of a car or whatever
0: some right, people out of exactly, the car. Exactly. And then it's got a um uh, but the but the tip is kind of blunted. And and I carry that I carry that snapped on my BC so it's like right in my right up by my chest. Mm-hmm. And then I carry my other my other mission knife is on my uh, on my leg. And do you ever like get to carry like a spear gun? You know, we were talking about that when we were training. I said uh, um, I wanted to. Um, I I think we should be allowed to in Michigan go spear hunting for walleye and that kind of stuff because we're underwater. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's not like everybody's going to run out and buy scuba gear to spear five walleye. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think I don't think we would do a lot of damage to the walleye population, but it would be a lot of fun to be able to spearfish. I think we'll it be would be like on,
1: on James Bond. Like, here's what I picture. You've got your scuba tank on and, like, these big 1970s fins and stuff and a wetsuit, and you've got the, the little gun and the little thing that you hold on to and press the button, and it, it like, has a light on it, and it, like, pulls you as well
0: like that's what i want. <laughs> <coughs> the scooters,
1: right? And then you um, have this big underwater battle with That spirits. that was
0: from Thunderball. Yeah. I think was the name of that was the name of that movie and that was the largest underwater fight scene that ever awesome. been filmed underwater and it was really done well. Yeah. It was actually really done quite well um, back in the day.
1: Yeah, it was cool. Um, but i so Did I tell you that uh, in the diving world, I just got invited to go uh, to some little shitty island in the Caribbean uh, in February to get uh, scuba certified? (laughs) I haven't decided if I'm going to go yet because it's kind of expensive. But uh, no,
0: you don't want to go for that. You're not going to learn anything. Yes, you're not going to learn anything. Spend a week up. Spend a week up from here. Spend a week up here, and. I will put you through your paces, and you will learn. Yeah, you the, will learn but, how to do it correctly.
1: Right. Well, that's that. That's my point. <clears throat> is like I still have to get the certificate, but I wouldn't consider myself anywhere trained, at,
0: even with a certificate. <coughs> well, yeah, but and, you, have and have the, ex- the you have to have the problem with experienced divers. I think the problem with the resort certificates is they are resort certificates, and and people, you know, I mean, they're, they're not. They're not of the same caliber as if you go up here and you do your pool time and you do your...
1: Yeah, well, they they still require all of that. Like, it's still... It's one of the... Whatever the national certifying organization is, it's them. So, it's is the it like real Patty? deal. It's like Patty? I don't know what the name is. It's like... You you know, there's, it's the real there's one. There's
0: Patty. There's Patty. There's Naui, There's... Um, it's the Naoi one, I think. Yeah. I haven't... Actually, Naoi is pretty good... Uh, is a pretty good certification organization. Usually, they don't they don't uh, um, they don't deal with cheap shit.
1: Yeah. Well, this is this is not cheap. Um, it, it'd be really expensive. But I I just I don't know. Like I don't know if I want to do that. I haven't decided. Um, this last week, uh, I carried uh, three different knives. I carried this. It's a uh, El Cheapo. It's the K Bar um, da- Bob. Bob Dozier. Dozier. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's got, uh, this one started out as a, uh, this this one's actually modified. I think it started out with a pink handle. Because um, I think it only ever came with an orange handle if the blade was black, and I wanted a satin finish blade on there, so I bought two. I think I have a video of this up with um, Guyon from Blade Forums and I... Um, Swapping out the blade and making it sexy. So that
0: that knife is actually a lot of knife for the money.
1: Yeah, it's it. That's so that's. I mean, you can you can literally buy two and swap parts and still be way ahead. And it's a yep. really good knife. It's some um, hollow ground, um, Bob Dozier design. I I carry this. It's, it's usually sitting right here on my desk in front of me because I use it up here. And I carry this, which is a um, Benchmade Mini Griptilian. With with a uh, blue handle. Um, This is a very, very nice knife. Carried that quite a bit last week. And the final one I carried um, is this uh, uh, Victorinox uh, Cadet. Um, So it's really super thin and it just disappears in your pocket. Um, So I carried that. uh, And then I carried an elephant toe when I went on that train ride.
0: So that was pretty fun. Train ride? So talk to me about the train ride. So, that sounds so funny, I Kathy, so fun, Kathy. I showed Kathy the couple of pictures that you put on Facebook, and she was like, "Ooh, that that looked nice."
1: Yeah. So we had um, there's a there's a railroad place in Boone, Iowa, and like uh, there's all these people that are just crazy about old trains. Well, they put together this organization, and they had enough money to buy like eleven miles of track from a railroad that the railroad wasn't using anymore, and they maintain it. And they run, like, old trains on it. Well, this one particular old train has um, two Pullman cars on it and uh, big, uh, you know, those uh, the Art Deco-looking um, diesel engines from, like, the 50s. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, diesel
0: electric. Yep. Yeah,
1: it's got one of those um, the real Art Deco-looking things. And uh, so they take you out for, like, a two-and-a-half-hour ride through the country, and you go over all these bridges and through these gorges and things. And uh, you eat dinner, a real nice sit-down dinner, in a Pullman car. And so we went with another couple. I uh, was a designated driver, so I didn't drink. But everybody else had some nice wine, and they had dessert. And it was really quite a neat thing. And then you can go out uh, on the back of the train and stand out outside for a little bit, if you wish, uh, as you're traveling. And I had an elephant toe for that. Sweet. What would you eat for dinner? I had... uh, Well, they had a shrimp cocktail, and then they had like a Caesar salad, and they had some rolls, and then I got uh, a pork uh, loin slice with like a sauce on it, and a baked potato and some steamed vegetables, and then for dessert, we had uh, cheesecake. It was really good. Really quite a thing. So if anybody's in Iowa and, and wants something interesting to do, I think it was like only 60 bucks a person, um, which good. is for a dinner out and especially one that where you get to eat in like this historical Pullman car and go on this neat train ride. I thought that was a really good value. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody there had a great time. Um, was there a lot of people on board? Uh, just two cars. Um, so, you know, they can only fit so many people in, so you have to make your reservations well in advance. Um, there were a bunch of pretty much, uh, I'd say at least half of the people came from other states, and a whole bunch of them came from Canada all the way down here to ride that.
0: Do not, does it do they turn around or how, how do yeah, they...
1: They, it goes out you go out one way on this track, and you go over a bridge over the um, I think it's the Boone River, which is in this huge gorge here uh you're a couple <coughs> hundred feet up. And so you're way above the trees and it's really pretty. And then you go over the Des Moines River over another bridge and you go out and you go out like six and a half miles or something and then um the train just reverses. So okay. it, they push you out and then they pull you back. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's uh they go kind of slow. Um which I wonder on the on the real Pullman cars if they had to slow down to like eat dinner or what have you. Because on a train, it, they move around a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: you know? yeah. I would think that they probably did. I remember C- Kathy and I were in uh, taking a train, a high-speed train from, uh, mm, I think it was Rome, Rome to Milan. And um, we went to the coffee car to have coffee. Uh-huh. And it was hilarious because we were like, you know, you, you can't hardly stand up. I mean, it's because the train's moving so much back and forth. Uh-huh. You hear we're trying to drink coffee while we're in those little dainty cups that the Italians use. Uh-huh. It was pretty funny. We we laugh about that all the time. Cool. So uh go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh,
1: I was uh I was looking on um on uh Kniveship free here for Lon Humphreys trackers because I know that's where he was gonna sell those. But I don't see that he's got any up. He's got a a Kephart, a couple Kepharts, actually quite a few Kepharts. And he's got a um, Rebel Fighter that looks all mean and evil. Um, that thing's badass. I know. It's more than I can handle. But he's, So that's what he's got up. Maybe they already sold all of the um, tracker styles. Wouldn't surprise that, me. It could be. Yeah. I mean, how many? He made how many? Uh, I think he made 10. Uh, I could be wrong, though, but
0: I think he only made 10. I, um. It's my $20 clock. Can you hear it?
1: Yeah. Is that. I got a cuckoo on there.
0: (coughs) Funnier and shit. I went to a barn sale, I guess it was. Mm hmm. The one where I picked up this microphone stand,
1: uh-huh.
0: and this uh, this lady said, "You really only want twenty dollars for this clock?" And she says, "Yeah, and it works too." Mm-hmm. Cool. So I said, "You know what?" I said, "I'll take that clock for twenty bucks. Just I, I said, I don't care if I have to, even if it, even if I threw it, I use it for like a year and give it away or something. I, you know, it does. It doesn't matter. It's kind of cute." Mm-hmm. It's about six foot tall, you know. It's a grandfather clock. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the, this lady's like helping me like get the the weights together and stuff like that. And I'm looking at her, going, "Man, this lady needs a shower because she smells." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this, you know, I mean, I be glad to get this done because I'm going to put it in the back of my jeep. And so I loaded it up in the jeep, you know, and I'm driving home, you know, and I'm like holy shit, that lady smells. It still smells. <laughs> was there a dead poo in the clock? I found out it's the freaking clock that smells. Oh. <laughs> and I was thinking, holy shit. So for two days... My wife and I have been like putting candles in the inside the bottom of the clock, trying to get it to get the smell out of it and
1: put it outside. So I'm thinking
0: it's probably going go out yeah it's probably gonna go outside
1: yeah it'll it'll you put it through a winter outside it'll not stink anymore whatever is in there. air it
0: out but it's it smells like awful b o <laughs> it's
1: it's it smells like it's uh, oh God, I gotta bleep that out okay so um <laughs> back on to uh um uh, Kniveship Free, I, I did want to draw attention to one um, of the Bark River knives.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Um, the Adventurer Neck Knife. Um, and this incorporates a feature that I've um, been arguing for for quite a while. And I've been putting on my knives for quite a while. And that's um, at the front of the handle in the handle scale. Uh, they've They've made a spot where if you want to hold your blade flat um like this uh because mm-hmm. you know a lot of times you're doing um you use your knife like a paring knife or whatever and mm-hmm. you want to hold it flat it's mm-hmm. nice to have a little um imprint there on the um on the scale god that knife looks familiar hmm. which one? But it's nice the the necker the shape of that looks really familiar but anyway the um there's an it's nice to have a little a little spot there and that's something i've put on my knives for since i started making them if if the knife was intended to be that way so obviously on a big chopper i'm not doing that except for on the parangs i've done a couple of those but on the neckers and on the um expedition knives i did that because that's they're more like, <laughs> the knives like that. but i thought that was a neat feature um and then they they just released a um i don't know if it's up for sale yet but they just released a uh hudson bay like camp knife um like the yeah, trade knife he, we, mike that?
0: and i mike and i were talking about that a long time ago um kind of a little bit of history about that knife it's it's interesting because you know there's been a couple different variations of the hudson bay camp knife right and basically what happened you know, and I, I, I'm going to tell a story. It could be pure speculation, but it's It's a good story, anyways. Okay. So the so the guys come to this country, um, the wilderness. Uh, we're talking in this, you know, 16, middle 16, late 1600s, early 1700s, and they're trapping beaver and buffalo and elk and, or they're killing elk and stuff. And they ha- they hadn't. I mean, they're Europeans. You know, they come over here and they're like, we got these little freaking Baby Scandi-looking knives, and we come to this country, and all of a sudden we have freaking monster animals. <laughs> and so they start writing back saying, "Look, we need something. We need, we need something different. We need something big." And the Hudson Bay camp knife was what came back. Yeah, and it was like one of the first big knives. It's that practically was... like a beef splitter. It's so huge. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. They're huge. Yeah, and <clears throat> and thick. You know, huge. there's What's that thick, yeah you know, they are like uh three sixteenths to a quarter inch thick, yep. yep, and handy, and they made a lot of different variations of them and um and this one that mike Mike found a picture of this of this one that he just uh he just released mm-hmm. and um i think it's i think I shared it on Facebook today, actually, mm. I think I shared the picture cool um but it's a um uh it's a it's a little smaller than his original um, than his original hudson bay knife uh his his original hudson bay knife is is uh a lot bigger than this yeah um this thing is nine and a half inches overall so it 's a little bit smaller um it 's got that typical kind of trade knife look to it
1: yep yep roach yeah. belly the blade yep. is called a roach belly um
0: And the the handles
1: looked a certain way on those. I mean, if you, I have somewhere sitting around some actual trade knives. Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, they were, basically, you were just giving them the steel. They really didn't pay a huge amount of attention to the handle. Right. Um, right. But it was, uh, you know, if you had steel to trade, it was like pretty valuable
0: stuff. Well, Um, listen, um, back then, these guys, they, they had nothing. I mean, they were oh, empty grounds. I just got the the kiss of death in my coffee pot. I got to empty the grounds before I can get another cup. <laughs> anyway, um, those guys, you know, they came. They came to this wilderness, and they had, you know, they were trapping beaver. They were trapping, you know. I mean, they were living off the land. I mean, that was a pretty rugged, rugged times mm-hmm. back then. You know, I mean, this is we're talking. The easier way around was getting on the water, not not walking through the woods. Right, right. You know, so I mean that was uh very interesting, very interesting times in uh, the in the outdoors world. Um
1: I did want to draw attention to uh Joe Flowers' uh uh jungle stuff. Um so if you don't know uh, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but it, I guess it's it's right coming up here. Joe Flowers um Set up a company, I think it's called Bushcraft Global, where he's going to take some people out into the jungle in Columbia and nice. uh, walk them around for a couple of weeks. And he's got natives lined up to teach him and stuff. Um, and he's got seven students.
0: He does? Uh, yeah, seven there.
1: students going down. And I think that's happening um, relatively soon, uh, like a couple weeks or something. Um, but I think that that's going to be a very good... Uh, educational experience because um, he's hired uh, local guides. Number mm-hmm. one and number mm-hmm. two, Joe Flowers himself has basically an identical background and experience and training to what I do. Only he's mm-hmm. a better teacher, mm-hmm. so I know he knows his stuff and he can teach it better than I can. So, hmm. yeah, so I think that that is going to be a good experience for Where, whoever goes down.
0: Where is he actually going? Do you know,
1: uh, Colombia, I think. Um, let me see if I can find his uh, website here it's uh I think it's called bushcraft global global okay yeah bushcraftglobal.com and uh, he's got his website here he's got pictures of him looking forlorn with his um, uh, minimal facial hair (laughs) Uh, he's in the jungle like monkeying around and stuff Um, let's see, where are they going? So September 28th to October 12th was their thing. Um,
0: through Colombian and and Brazilian
1: Amazon rainforest.
0: No, it's, well, I guess, would they be back?
1: No, they're not back. Well, no, the 12th. Yeah. They're 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 coming
0: back the 12th. So they're down there now.
1: Yep. Uh, and so they, yeah, they're out there, uh, doing their monkey business right now. So cool. anyway, I thought that was it's neat that he got that off the ground and that he um, just he, was he just went to
0: uh, um, a Morse class.
1: Yeah, he's he's been to this again. He's been to most of the same stuff that I've been. I think the only the only things that I've done that he hasn't are um, I did that pretty hardcore uh, alpine mountaineering course. It was two weeks, and I also did the um, boss course. Um, but he 's done pretty much this he was on the Amazon five thousand expedition mm-hmm. you know so he 's got real world you know jungle experience it's not you know it 's not just that he 's been on courses so anyway, I thought i congrats to him for setting that up and and getting that going and uh, I look forward to seeing the pictures and hearing the tales of adventure from there.
0: so we want to do a winter expedition this year.
1: I know, we need to
0: um somehow get that done. We could either do um uh up in the UP just snowmobile around a little bit, set up a nice camp somewhere, canvas tent stuff.
1: Yeah, definitely canvas tent with wood stove. <laughs>
0: yep. Yep. But that's that's uh
1: we need to talk about that. Yeah. I have I got uh, two emails um, that I just wanted to address real quick here before we bring things to a close. Number one, um, somebody was asking me about uh, sour ales, and I think it was because uh, <laughs> at some you point like sour uh, ales. Yeah, at some point uh, somebody posted something on one of the Facebook groups about sour ales, and I said I liked them. So somebody sent me an email asking me which ones I thought were good and um i've tried a whole bunch of them and like not only the best sour ales that i've ever found but the best beer period from any country in the world any location in the world is made right there in michigan and i think it's uh, in, no it's in dexter um but they have a branch of it in uh traverse city and it's called the jolly pumpkin. So, oh, okay. you guys look up Jolly Pumpkin Ales. That's that's not only the best sour ales and sour beers that I've tasted. It's the best beer period from any country in the world, anywhere. Um and I loved it so much that I now have a mug. Even though I don't live in Traverse City, I have a mug at that brewery. Um number 334 people. Oh. And uh
0: So so I can go down there and say, "Give me 334?"
1: Yeah. And you'll be, you'll be drinking out of my mug and I got a t-shirt and everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's the, so if you want to know what I think is the best, um, that's it right there. Um, and their food is fantastic too. So you can make a a day trip out of it and enjoy yourself. It's on the Eastern, um, do you call it the Eastern peninsula of Traverse Bay or what, what's that called? The Eastern arm or something. (laughs) I just call um, it the Eastern peninsula, but. Because there's two kind of peninsulas that jut out into well, the bay there. Well, and
0: one is Mission. We we call it Mission Peninsula. Which one is which that? Which is the one in the middle? That's the one up the middle. Yeah. Okay. So that's probably it. It's Mission Old Mission Peninsula, and then the other peninsula is Lelando Peninsula. Yeah, Lelando. That's the western one. And then the you western call the one. bays. Then you call the bays East, East Bay, East bay West Bay. bay. Yeah, right. so
1: that that uh it's the one that is in the middle between the East yeah. Bay and West Bay. Um, yeah, that
0: would be Old Mission Peninsula. That's yeah. actually neat up there. There's there's a lot of wineries up there too. I
1: know. Yeah, I've driven up all over that area. Um and it, on it's the Jolly Pumpkin is halfway up on the west side of that peninsula. So you're you're on the West Bay, you can't see it from there, but um it's kind of hard to find, but you'll know cuz there's like a billion cars there. Um so that's that's the answer to that question. The other question I got was about minimalist footwear, and of uh, you know, probably ten, fifteen episodes ago, we started talking about it. Yeah. Um. So we should we should probably just briefly touch on that. Um. So here's my take. Um. You like moccasins. Mm-hmm. You're probably wearing them now. Mm-hmm. As am I. Mm-hmm. Um. I just like the way. And it's always been this way. I When I was a kid, I walked around barefoot whenever I could. Yep. And yep. I still do that, but it's
0: a little cold right now. So I, um, I walk well, see, around with And moccasins. the thing is, the problem is right now is we are heading into the winter, and the moccasins do not have anything on the bottom of them, and you slip on your – they're not snow-friendly.
1: Yeah. Well, they, they do make some, some versions that have um, some yeah. minimal tread on the bottom and stuff but
0: uh I wear my I like to wear my Steiger mucklucks in the wintertime. Okay. <coughs> <coughs> Moose hide. Yeah, I, I remember those. Just,
1: um but uh so the deal with with minimalist footwear and um the reason I like stuff like and, and I hunt in my moccasins. Mm-hmm. Like I go hunting in them. If there if it's not wet and if there's no snow on the ground, I hunt in them. Um mm-hmm. I just like to be able to feel the ground and I you know, it's just a personal thing. Um but uh the reason this has really kind of started uh there's been a lot of interest in minimalist footwear. Um I'll, some of it is like witchcraft and some of it is it's like, like the actually ninja boots true. too. So right. it's ninja. I, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um but the there was a book um that came out a few years ago about these uh Indians living in Mexico. Um and they they basically are able to run these crazy distances and they don't wear shoes. Mm-hmm. and this guy wrote this book about it and uh you know it was a pretty neat book but he made some pretty pretty crazy claims and all these sorts of things and that started this big uh big interest in um minimalist running and part of the reason i think that that had a lot of appeal um was that there was a big kind of anti-corporate message to it um and the whole thing was you know like well um the reason you can't run and this and that and the reason they can run is because of uh shoe companies and uh you know um if 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 you didn't have this big cast of a shoe on your foot um brought to you by this evil shoe company Um, you know, you'd be able to run and do all of this stuff. So it had, it had some broad appeal because, you know, there's the corporate boogeyman is brought up and all these sorts of things. And um, there's a lot of complex reasons why people like that. It's kind of like, um, everybody's searching for the reason that they feel shitty. And a lot of times the reason you feel shitty is because you're a shithead. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> you have no reasonable expectation of being happy because you're a fucking jerk off. Well, and, and maybe the reason you can't run is because you know you don't run, and and basically all you'd have to do is go out and start training and do a little running. It, you know, not you know the the minimalist footwear thing is not uh, it's actually, not a magic bullet. Actually, by any means, um, you can
0: hurt yourself with that. Well,
1: and so I have a lot of. Um, Uh, colleagues that are podiatrists because i do Mm -hmm. some i do quite a bit of wound care work and podiatrists also do that and they um i was asking them about if they've seen an uptick in injuries and they're like god don't get me started yeah so the army
0: the army told the army banned those oh yeah Um, you know they said they said no apparently if you have to kind of ease yourself into this very much so um like you can't you have to run, like, 50 feet. Yeah, around around the block
1: maximum for, yeah. like, months before yeah. you. And what Jim is talking about is, like, Vibram five fingers, which I think is, like, a gimmick. Like, yeah. I don't think there's any benefit to separating your toes. <laughs> I think that's stupid.
0: And yeah. it makes you, well, I'm not even going to go there. Um, well, like I said, the they, the Army banned those. They, they said that you can't use those for training anymore. Because uh, because people were getting a lot of injuries on their feet.
1: Yeah, and you know, uh, and then they'll say, well, you know, how's come the you know the natives are able to do all of this stuff? Um, and they don't they've never had anything
0: else but that.
1: Yeah, and if you look at the, and I have, you know, if you if you go out into the places where the people are doing that, and and walking around barefoot and running barefoot all the time the bottoms of their feet are like shoes (laughs) you know it's like big huge thick calluses like inch thick calluses on the bottom of their feet that are essentially shoes um but you know so there's lots of options for um, minimalist footwear there's a vibram five fingers which i do not like they take like 20 minutes to get on and then it separates your toes (laughs) (coughs) Um <coughs> They look uncomfortable to me. they are very uncomfortable i I do not like those shoes then there's the and it 's almost impossible to find one that actually fits your foot um and they take f- flipping forever to put on now then um the more reasonable and traditional one is just a moccasin like Jim and I wear yeah um i i just I bum around in those a lot of times i'll i'm not going to wear them to work. You know, because I kind of have to wear some dress shoes and look somewhat respectable. But I, anytime I'm not at work or whatever, I, I like to wear those. Um, then uh, if you want something more woods-based, um, I tried out two different kinds uh, that are actually boots. So it's a full lace-up boot um, that goes all the way up past your ankle. There are two that I've tried. One is the feelmax and the other is Lems Boulder Boot. Um, I like them. That, I'm not a super huge fan. Isn't that uh, the Boulder Boot? Isn't that the one that Chance likes? No, Chance has the Feelmax. Um, and I I like them. Um, I, and I I like the uh, Lem's Boulder Boot. That's the one that Joe Flowers favors. Um, I like both of them. They're both good boots. The problem I have with them is that uh, it's like they did not design um, any kind of any kind of arch in there, so when you when you have your foot in there, it doesn't like a moccasin hugs the bottom of your foot, right? And um, it's tight enough through the arch that um, it it just feels better on your foot. The problem I had with the limbs and the FuelMax is that it does not hug your arch, and it feels like you're walking around in a sack. Basically, um, they I I wore the I think I wore the limbs up at uh, Glib. Uh-huh. So you can see um, videos of those um didn't make a big deal out of them. I like them. Um but I, I do appreciate when it's tighter through the arch. So if you want some other examples of good minimalist footwear, I have a um pair of uh of uh Merrells. The Merrell uh Barefoot Runner it's called or something like that that I just love. Um Merrill does shoes right. They, for some reason, their footbeds are just fantastic. And they, that shoe, not only is minimalist, you can feel everything, you can do everything, um, but you can also, it, it, also hugs the arch, and I like that feel on a shoe. Yeah. Um, another example um, from my past is uh, simply just wrestling shoes. If you want to know a shoe that has, I think maybe the problem with the Feelmax and the limbs is that it's a new design for them and they haven't figured out all the little um, nuances nuances of of making the arch fit right. So if you want something that's been in use since like the 1950s, maybe not as a quote unquote minimalist shoe, but it has had some time to go through the development, go find a wrestling shoe.
0: Yeah. Or better yet, how about a bowling shoe?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I would go that route. They tend to be a little stiff. Um in fact I'd probably go bowling. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Okay, so that I think that's as much as I can answer
0: on on those questions. Yeah, I, my feet are my feet are been screwed up enough that that I, I'm comfortable with the moccasins, but if I've got any long distances that I need to be trekking, I'm not No. Yeah, I, I, I need you know, guys. You need good ankle support. You need good arch support. You, I mean,
1: <sighs> and and I'm, I've got a rant to make about the um, the Altama Jungle boots. Um, they're fucking terrible. Yeah. Uh, the again, the pro- the problem here is the sole is fantastic. The Panama sole is what I prefer in mud and jungle. The problem with the boot is absolutely no arch support. Yeah. And so if you're trying to hike, um, it's fine if you're hiking in through jungle and um, on real soft, muddy stuff because your feet have lots of cushion and stuff and, and it does offer ankle support. Where you run into tr- problems is occasionally you'll come and have to hike on a trail like a harder trail, a harder surface or even hike on like a gravel road or something for a while um, and if you're carrying like 60 70 pounds on your back, your feet just get ruined with
0: those because yeah. there's no arch yeah. support so yep that makes it that's a tough yeah. boot to, if to if wear actually I my
1: um, my preference for a boot is if you if you're gonna be carrying a heavy load over varied terrains, make sure you get something with an excellent footbed. With uh, where there's no binding spots and all these sorts of things.
0: I I gotta tell you, I have been a fan of Danner boots for 30 years. Hmm. Easy, 30 years. They're literally the only boot that you can take off your old pair, put on your brand new pair of the exact same model and the same size, and they fit. Okay. Exactly the same way. Um, I believe that they're made in America. What's your choice
1: for, um, like a, so I'm, I have the Danner.com website up right now. What's your choice for, like, a Woodlands boot?
0: They um, have a pronghorn. That looks badass. I, I have, like, four different pair, uh-huh. and my duty boots are Danner. Um, right here. This is, my, this is probably my 20th pair of these. What's you the, see? yeah, what's look at the, the model, Look at the bottom. You know? Look at the bottom.
1: Oh yeah, yeah yeah it's worn out.
0: <laughs> this is a um uh, Arcadia. Okay. Banner Arcadia, GTX. Two thousand uh two hundred G GTX. So it's Gore-Tex. Okay, and so leather.
1: it's it's on the law enforcement uh Yep. Yeah. Okay.
0: And and um I mean I've wore those all over the world. Literally. They're pretty badass. Everywhere. And yep. And uh I also have the uh desert um gtx danners too that i really like and i had their cold weathered uh rough out
1: i wonder if they make a um if they make something that'd be suitable for like jungle yeah their jungle boot they make a jungle
0: boot Mm Mm-hmm. i have them how how does it work is it good does it drain awesome there there's nothing yes there's there's holes in the bottom of them yeah jungle (coughs) look I think they call it actually. I think they call yeah, it. it it's, it's got screen, They got screens in the bottom. Yeah, office.
1: that's that's what you want. The main thing with your main thing with your jungle boot is you're not going to want a lot of like cotton padding and other shit in there. You just want right. You want a good footbed and you want a way for water to drain out of it and you want it to be um, like nylon. You don't want leather. You don't want all this bullshit in there. Um, right. Yeah,
0: those Daners look pretty good. The, they uh i i like i said i have never had uh an issue with them uh-huh. um i love them they're they're literally the best boots that i've ever wore.
1: Uh-huh.
0: um hands down the the uh the desert t f x is a is a phenomenal boot um they make a really nice cold weather uh desert style boot uh-huh. for for the winter um they're they're just not they're just. There's nothing wrong with them. There's, literally, they're the best boots you can wear. I think. Huh. Um, and they've got. They've got good uh, hunting boots. God damn, they're good... heavy
1: though. <coughs> Even their uh, light one is, uh,
0: like, three pound boot. <laughs> wow. Well, that's because you use them as a weapon. Okay. You tie them together. You use them like nunchucks. Yeah, fifty-eight boot ounces chucks. for these boots. Jesus. Well, they're built for men. Yeah, not girly men like me. <laughs> you know that's the that's one of the things that I that I noticed that uh <clears throat> when I mean I'd rather have a boot that holds up to you know than you wear it on one trip and it's fucked up. Yeah.
1: yeah they have a lot of um options for military style boots. Mm-hmm. Yep. Huh. Yes, sir. Mountain assault. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like something I'd like. Mountain, the mountain assault hoop. Uh, and then they've got, yeah, these actually. Yeah, they look like these. These look look good.
0: I like their mm-hmm. military ones. So I might have to see mm-hmm. if I can find a place to try those on. <coughs> they're hard to come. They're hard to come by. Usually, a hunting stores have them, but they don't. They don't usually carry the. You almost got to go to like a. Uh, um, oh, I'm trying to think of it the, well, you, how far are you from an army base? You're not very far in Iowa, are you?
1: Yeah, we have we have um, we don't have. I think that we have like uh, Camp Dodge.
0: I usually, usually have, like, outside. Base usually outside the the yeah, but you're not too far from Kentucky.
1: Well, I'm. I'm, too, too, I'm you're 10 not hours. far from
0: Fort Knox, are you?
1: I'm. I'm from from Fort Knox. I'm about.
0: Twelve and a half hours. Oh, you really that far away? Yeah. Holy shit. Um. Because usually there's there's a like stores that sell military stuff uh-huh. that is off off the base. And um. That's where that's where you would find it, uh, like a like a full service standard military dealer. Uh huh. That you could try all these different boots on. Mm. I like that melee canteen. I think that's kind of a neat yeah. looking. Melee. Huh. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's nice. I like that. I wonder how much. Uh... Yeah, that's nice. Look at that sucker. That's badass. Mm-hmm. You could take those. Uh... It's it's a lot like a, and it's lighter. It's thirty two. Well, that's that's, that's more like a that's the... more
0: like a like a tennis shoe almost.
1: Yeah. Huh. Mountain assault. I mean, what
0: are, what do your boots <laughs> wear?
1: Way. Um. Hmm. I'm looking at this. I, they don't weigh that much. Um, I, I tend to like, uh, footwear that's a little bit lighter. Um, the stuff that I use, if I'm not in jungle, I actually wear, uh, one of those, that pair of Merrills that I've had for a couple of years, you know, those, mm-hmm. they're not even, they're like a low top thing. Um, uh, I have a pair for when I'm doing like outdoors work. Uh, Just a regular Caterpillar steel-toed boots that I like Mm -hmm. a lot, Um, but those aren't anything I'd want to hike a long ways in. Um, And then those Altamas, which they've made their last trip. I'm sick of those things. I
0: hate them. I want to burn them. Okay, so my size and fit. Hmm. Men, 66 ounces. That's the boot that I wear right there. Sixty-six Oof. ounces. Oof! But that's a that's two hundred uh, gram. Is it two hundred grams of of thinsulate? Yeah. That's f- the one I wear. A four-pound boot. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> wonder why my leg is my legs are strong. Do
1: you ever have dreams at night where like a monster is chasing you and your boots are so heavy you can't get
0: away? <laughs> <laughs> no. I actually don't dream. I, I'm kind of one of those silly guys that I I go to sleep, I wake up, mm. I don't have dreams, I don't... Nice.
1: So we uh, <laughs> had a bad cough, though. We've given people, uh, minus the 10-minute uh, uh, discussion of um, uh, the religion at the beginning, you know, we've given people an hour of content. You know what we didn't touch? We didn't touch on Ebola. Okay, so we've given people an hour of content... Um, if you have a sensitive stomach and you just don't want to hear any kind of discussion of world events or anything like that, um, you know, it was great to have you as a listener. Uh, and, uh, thanks for listening today. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. Um, if you would, uh, go ahead and head over to iTunes and give us a nice rating, uh, we uh, really appreciate that it helps us get our podcast out to more people because if it's got you know more ratings and reviews and things like that then more people will see it and uh more people will join the world of obsessing about knives and things um so there you can find us on uh, uh knife journal podcast uh TheKnifeJournal.com has a forum there where we interact with people. Um, we also have a Facebook page. Uh, and how else, if they want to send us uh, email and call us, um, you know, cowards and uh, you know, ignorant and stuff, uh, you can send that, and we will read it. It's fine. Um, and I've got thick enough skin that you know, listen, I don't care. Podcast at knifejournal.com. And uh, that's the end of knife related content for today, and thank you for listening. And now, without further delay, Let's talk about Ebola. The rants about Ebola. <clears throat> well, first, first, what would be better? Because um, this is a real quick one. Is the whole Secret Service debacle and how the
0: so, so you know you know what the problem the problem is not with the agents. No, the problem is with the upper management, and that's where that's where the that's where the problem lies. And you know. I don't, men are, you know, boys will be boys, men will be men, and when you get a, when you, when the cat's away, the mice will play. Right, right. You know, and if you do not have a good upper management, guys screw off. I mean, that's that's what happens in, in every workplace, no matter how dedicated they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that when you put people in charge that are not competent, they're not competent leaders... Um, that's what you end up with. Okay, so here's so, here's something funny. Um, the Secret Service
1: head that resigned last week. Uh, I heard an interview where she was uh, being grilled um, by by somebody in Congress. Apparently, there were some. And this never even made the news. Apparently, there were some shots fired at the White House in D.C. Like eight shots. You know,
0: <coughs> that's like old. That's like two years ago. Yeah, but they
1: never, that never made the news. And uh, and some bullets hit the White House and like shattered some glass or something on a balcony. And the Secret Service didn't find it and basically kind of blew it off. And the bullet and the glass fragments and things were later found by a maid like a few days later. And they they never talked about it. Well, so he's grilling her on there and he's like, well, so shots were fired. And what would you guys do? She's like, well, we thought um, it could be shots, but then we thought it was a car backfiring, and and here's here's what I want to say, okay, Jim, when's the last time you heard a car backfire? It's been. 20 years. Yes. Yeah, t- at yes. least. So so you, you would get a car... Ca- cars
0: don't backfire anymore.
1: Right, because they're not normally aspirated, and the exhaust is so well-tuned to the thing that it's just not going to happen. Right. Um, the last time I heard a car backfire was I had a uh, 82 Dodge Ram Charger, and back then the emissions stuff was just coming into play and they were just trying to take these normally aspirated cars and tweak them with catalytic converters and all this stuff and the restrictive air boxes well the car ran like shit when we got it so my dad hired this guy um to take all that crap off of there and put headers on it and and tune it to be like the car should run and so he did all of that and got it running um and then when i took the car over like in the early 90s um, the exhaust started going bad and the muffler went bad and I took it to a muffler shop and they wouldn't replace it because they they said you know there's no catalytic converter and we can get in all kinds of trouble for working on this this vehicle and I'm like okay well um, so basically what I had to do was I found a big piece of pipe (laughs) you know muffler exhaust pipe you know and 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 basically connected the pipe to each header so basically I had this truck uh the big huge truck with uh straight pipes on it (laughs) no no muffler no nothing nice and it was just loud as hell and uh when you shut it off uh it would backfire or Mm -hmm. when you if you go down a hill like a steep hill and you let off the gas it'll backfire all the way down Mm -hmm. and so that's literally the last time i've heard a car backfire but yet like like she must watch too much tv um, where like a gunshot can be mistaken for a backfire, but it's been, it's been literally at least 20 years since anyone in the United States heard a car backfire. Like, and this is somebody you're like hiring to be like the lead is somebody that comes up with that lame of a fucking excuse. Right. Like it's <laughs> good ridiculous. God.
0: It's absolutely ridiculous. Like, complete and
1: total amateur. Yep. <clears throat> um, so Ebola. Now we have That's to be a whole okay so, even, wait, so we have to be careful same... because Ebola now has civil rights. Yeah. Ebola is an, <laughs> yet another disease that has civil rights. So there are certain diseases that have their own rights where you can't talk about them and say well all we need to do to prevent the spread of X disease is not have contact with the people with X disease. Yes. Well, there are certain diseases where you're not allowed to say that because that disease has civil rights. Ebola now has civil rights, so we have to be very careful how we tread these waters.
0: So, so know,
1: we have to be careful. Just saying. It has well, I'm, rights I'm, now.
0: I'm laughing, I'm laughing about this whole thing. Fever, headache, diarrhea, vomiting, unexplained bleeding or bruising, muscle pain, and stomach pain.
1: Yeah, the, and the unexplained bleeding and bruising comes later, not, not that's, at the start. <coughs> that's, that's bleeding out. Yeah, that's but that's later. Your your first initial symptoms are going to be basically flu like, yeah, fever,
0: diarrhea, headache, and vomiting. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, which is why I get a flu shot every year because I don't want to deal with that anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, the latest is we're not going to stop these people from coming to our country because why? We want to dilute the
1: yeah. Okay. Virus. So, so the 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 reasoning is that. Uh, okay, and this is this. Not, oh, it's not civil let me, rights. Let me do a the disease though, has quick, civil quick rights, so we have to be careful. Let me, let, me do, okay. let
0: me do. a quick comparison here. Okay, everything that's wrong with the, everything that is wrong with the Secret Service right now, right, is the same thing that's wrong with the EPA, the same thing that's wrong with the IRS. It's the same thing that's wrong with the CDC, which is they have incompetence running the show. Political, impo- political appointees who got the political job because appointees they were going are... to carry
1: out the political will of the person appointing
0: them. <clears throat> That's right. And uh, if you weren't, if you were, a, you were a conspiracy theorist, you would think that this was all intentional. Well, if they started allowing doctors back to the country, infected, and they started allowing people to fly from Liberia, and Sierra Leone, to our country, knowing full well. That eventually, somebody carrying Ebola is going to land in this country and start spreading the love.
1: Well, it's you could you could go down that rabbit hole, but what I am going to do is I'm going to play a clip of somebody um, I heard I don't I don't remember where I heard it, so I'm going to have to search it out. I'm going to play a clip of someone saying that the reason we shouldn't uh, uh, quarantine. And and prevent people from Liberia and Western African countries from coming over here and giving us all Ebola is because Liberia was started as a uh, a way for American um, people of color to escape slavery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I heard, yeah, so, I, heard so that's, it. I have to I did find hear it and I'm gonna am I'm am gonna, I'm gonna see if I can <clears throat> find it and plug it in here. But you know, David, there are those who are, are you know, already saying, well there shouldn't be any flights uh accepted from from Liberia to the United States, or even flights that have connected through Europe, that's not even really possible. I mean, given, first of all, I don't think there are many flights that directly connect from Monrovia to the United States. Most of them are connections. It's virtually impossible in real time like that to track somebody, I would think.
0: It is. It's impossible to track them. It's impossible
1: really to seal off those, uh, those connections. I mean, isolation is very important for dealing with this disease, but that means isolation of individual cases. You can't isolate neighborhoods. You can't isolate nations. It doesn't work. And, and they, people will talk about, well, we shouldn't allow any flights in from Liberia. I mean, we in America—how dare we turn our backs on Liberia? Given the fact that this is a country that was founded in the 1820s, 1830s because of American slavery, we have a responsibility to stay connected with them and uh, help them see this through. Dr. Redler, so you know, again, that the reason they—it just baffles me—if if the disease was TB or smallpox or measles. I my family was quarantined because of measles. Um right. my wife's uh parents, both of them Dude, had their you get their quarantined, quarantined if you get head lice? You get yeah. But, um, <laughs> you get quarantined if you get TB, you get quarantined because and, and why because quarantine works. And if you have a a highly infectious disease and back in the day when they were doing this, there were no cures for these things. So you would you had things like TB uh Places where, you know, it would just be basically a, what do they call that, a sanatorium or... Yep, yep. And they had you had a whole class of people that were TB intellectuals because you would be quarantined with TB for like a couple of years and couldn't leave. And so they'd just read all these books and end up <coughs> actually quite brilliant at the end of it. Well, yep. <coughs> traditionally, the way to treat infectious diseases for which there is no cure is to quarantine the people that have it. Until they die. Or until they are they until it, it runs its course, and especially with an outbreak, if there was a, if there was an entire community that that came down with TB, and and most of my family was killed off from TB, so I know a little bit about this. If you had a community that got TB, you would isolate the community. Nobody comes, nobody goes, um, and uh, because it works, and so now this, you've got this guy that's the head of C, C, the CDC saying that. Uh, it won't work to quarantine those countries, and that they have a right to come to the United States. Like what? What? What yeah. kind of quackery is this? Like yeah, it's it's wh- ridiculous. What are you talking about? Of course, quarantine works. <coughs> that's that's the only thing and that it, works.
0: And 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 this is what fuels the conspiracy theories all the time. Yeah, you know, because because they're you're like okay, what what is it that they want to do? I mean, really they're either incompetent or they're complicit
1: well and then and then here's the other point it's like well we, you know we can't prevent travel um, to that country well it's like well three weeks ago you prevented travel to Israel right um, because you didn't like what Israel was doing um, right. that that was a political uh political ban on travel I mean it was temporary but um, I don't know like it, it's just crazy that that they've they've here's 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 what really frustrates me about people who are political pointees that have this guy's a physician he has a scientific background and he knows better um but they're willing to just say whatever the hell somebody tells them to say in and uh flying in the face of all history and all science they they found a mouthpiece that would say that you know yeah and you know, typically um in past administrations if there was an outbreak, the CDC's been really really good at handling it. Yes. And you you can well, be pretty well rest assured that the CDC's going to take care of
0: business. Now, I don't know. At what point in time in history have we ever worried about the Secret Service?
1: Uh they've had they occasionally have monkey business on and off.
0: That's this there, There's this a lot administration. of administration.
1: Yeah, but there's a lot of thought that the um Secret Service during JFK's era um, was fairly lax yeah uh that's
0: no, not me yeah but it was a different that. time there yeah. was a different time then too but right but but you know i mean when you start when you start talking about all of this this incompetence level appointees <clears throat> yeah. I, I don't know i get i get um i get <laughs> sick and then i get scared And I hate to I hate to be like this. I hate to think that that all of the Fruit Loops that we call that were conspiracy theorists in the past, all of a sudden they're starting to make sense. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you know, I've tried to not believe any of this stuff for a long time, but all of a sudden you're like, okay, how how is this how how does this news camera guy get infected? Well, because
1: you know the thing is is like the the only way you're supposed to be able to get it is if you have um contact with the person's bodily fluids
0: correct um well now we're um, talking we're talking sweat spit vomit right now people
1: um when you cough uh, you when you cough, you are releasing tiny tiny little particles of water vapor um and uh, those tiny, tiny little particles of water vapor can travel. And if someone coughs near you that has a, uh, a an infectious disease and you breathe those little droplets of water vapor in, um, you know, you've been exposed. And I think... What they're doing to try to limit um, people's concern about this, and they have from the beginning. Let's be honest; like a few months ago, like in July, if you mentioned Ebola, you were a big crank and like you were trying to damage the president. You remember right. this, and yep. um, and uh, you know they they're saying that Ebola is not airborne um, because it won't just magically transform out of the air and travel through the air, which nothing does. You it's it be. It, they're trying. They're splitting hairs to try to make it seem like it's not really that contagious. Mm-hmm. And um, th- because the virus can't live on its own in the air, they're saying <coughs> it's not airborne, but it can live in a water droplet that you've coughed out. Um, okay, y- here's know, the here's the big question: bit.
0: How did the CDC docs or the the health doctors that were there that got the the original group that came back that were infected? Yeah, and there they were like wearing like and-
1: all this crazy.
0: Yeah, how did gear. they get infected?
1: Miracle. It was miracleed on their ass.
0: That's how. <laughs> um, well, I tell you, to me it's scary and it's scary to the fact that that, that they're not taking it serious. I mean, well,
1: I think I, I'm, I'm going to throw a little I mean, bit heard, of I've water. As, I've on heard the as much people
0: here. say I've heard I've heard people say go as far as say that they don't think that there's going to be a 2016 election because of this.
1: Well, I I think that's going a little far. I think um, I, I, I do also. Typic- typically, what ha- has happened historically with big outbreaks is they go for a while, and then for some reason they just burn themselves out. That's what's happened with every single Ebola outbreak so far. I think that, um, despite the uh, the fact that we have a political now CDC. Um, with political heads that will say basically whatever, they're going to realize that if they don't actually do their scientifically based job, um, they're going to be in some hot water and there will be a political price to pay. So I think that the CDC, um, regardless of what this jerk off says publicly, will probably do the right thing and contain, um, contain the disease well enough that it's not going to be a big deal. Um... I could be wrong. Um, I may be being overly optimistic, but I th- I, I doubt that um, the Ebola thing is going to come become a huge thing in the United States.
0: No, yeah, I hope not. Um, well. I mean, I, this fellow, this fellow, this latest guy from Liberia, he infected hundred. He he has had contact with a hundred people right now. Yeah, and they're they're, they're, they're and now, they're counting hundred well, and counting.
1: And there they, they they there are fourteen people now quarantined. Um, There were nine people living in his house, um, or his two-bedroom apartment, uh, and then, so those nine are, and then the um, people that had contact with him in the ambulance bringing him from his apartment there to their quarantine. This is all I know from this morning, okay, so there was a report on NPR, I was listening this morning, Um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, people are probably going to get this, and by the time they get it, some facts will have changed, but... At any rate, um, I'm hopeful that despite the um, political head, that things will uh, be controlled, and I hope that I'm not wrong
0: about that. Yeah, I do too. I so. do too. Well, on that, <clears throat> we got to draw this to an end. Yep. So hopefully we weren't um,
1: too bad, and uh, the uh, second disease now with um, political rights and civil rights Um won't be mad at us and won't call us racist or bigoted. Um, no, even though we are. <laughs> well, according to them, you know, yeah. if you if you say anything bad about Ebola and not wanting to get it, you're a bigot. Yeah. Um. Because you know it has political rights now. The disease does. Yeah. Um. One more. I'm bleeping that out. <laughs> anyway. Uh. So All right. I'm going to go to my shop.
0: All right. I'm going to work for a bit. I'm uploading. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, people. Remember, like us on, like us on Facebook. Join us at uh, knifejournal.com for the forums. And uh, send us emails at uh, podcast at knifejournal.com. Keep your knives sharp and your friends sharper. See you next time. Yep, bye. Bye.